0: Well, as we continue uh, this journey of these last few weeks, uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about, uh, spending a little time in our service, talking about denominational updates as far as where our denomination is, As the United Methodist Church, not only here in the United States, but globally. Uh, We've been talking about the idea that there is a split that we all kind of see, foresee coming in the near future. Can't say exactly when that is or where it will be or when it will be, but we know uh, that probably it's going to be happening and uh, could happen in many different circumstances, but uh, probably the most likely is the protocol for grace and separation that has been agreed to by many different parties that can't quite go into effect until we can get the whole world together post-COVID to actually uh, start talking about and voting in on such protocols. Do wanna take time as we've been gathering, I mentioned that first week about just that idea is still now hot on the table now that COVID is easing. Um, The idea of separation is still right before us uh, and so it's still going to be getting, you're going to be hearing more about it, uh, more in the days to come. And so just want to be uh, sharing with you just some thoughts and ideas as well as just your pastor's take on uh, the different groups and who they are. Last week, we looked at one of the groups and really it was the group that's going to be inheriting that is the United Methodist Church name. Um, they kind of see themselves as the middle way. In many ways, uh, they, they are kind of the church as a whole. They want to keep everybody together and all those kind of ideas. We kind of asked the question at the end of well, what are the groups they're trying to keep together, and you know sometimes their thoughts so divergent and so different that really you can't keep them together. And so these next two weeks, I'll be talking about two different other groups. So the three kind of it's kind of a three-way split, if you will, of the different denomination and sort of their take on things, their understanding of God, and especially how these items come really into play, uh, and how at the end of the day there may be a more graceful future if the church splits than if it would stay together. Today. Uh, I'm going to actually be talking about, I debated on what order to do these in and what would be the fairest way, but I think to really understand uh, where the debates are in this church, I really have to go to what is the more progressive wing of the church first and to talk about them here today. Now, I mentioned to you where I identify myself. This is a group that I would see things very, very differently. And so I told you that I'm going to try to do my best to be gracious in all things and present the best forward their foot and their beliefs and their understanding here today. Uh, but you should know probably that I disagree very sharply with some of the ideas that I'll be sharing here in this moment. I also want to mention that um, as I was working through this, it really became clear to me I need to spend a little more time today than I have in the past on this, this moment um and so i've actually uh, felt that i needed to cut short the sermon a little bit and so i've actually made a little bit of time in our service here today so it feels like i'm going along that's intentional but it's important to understand the different groups who they are and why we're in the predicament that we're in right now to understand uh so that first group that was the united methodist church and we'll be inheriting the cross the flame and all those different things one of the advocacy groups for them is called umc next Now, this next group is called, if you think about the advocacy groups for them, it would be UMC Forward, which is not to be confused with UMC Next. They're so close. If you ever look them up, they're very different trains of thought and very different people. And also another advocacy group that would be well-known would be the Reconciling Ministries Network as well. But to understand this group, you really kind of talk some theology here this morning. And you have to specifically understand this type of theology when you understand this group, and that is liberation theology. Now, that may seem just something over your head and something you've never really heard about, or maybe you've heard about it, but you never really understood. It's important to understand that how liberation theology was first introduced to the world was really in Latin America and kind of states like Peruvia. I say states, but countries, Peruvia and Brazil. And uh, they were places where a whole lot of stuff was going on. And in the 1960s, there were Catholic theologians that came along and looked at what was going on in their countries and in the world and with people. And they saw a class society where certain people were totally excluded from everything, even to the point of where the the militias that had existed that now had nothing to do uh, were very oppressive. They detained people, they tortured people. People were left totally without jobs. People were left in places where they would be starved. There was all sorts of horribleness going on in the world. And they looked at the gospel and they said, you know what? The gospel of jesus christ has to have relevance for the poor in the situation in other words they looked at us and they said the gospel has to make a difference in the practical everyday life of people that are oppressed not just marginalized but truly oppressed tortured and hurt there has to be change and god has to be working among the poor and that was one of the big thoughts of this liberation theology is that god is constantly working with the poor of the world and with them and and being bound in them and that the work of the church and work of faithful servants is to walk alongside those that are truly, truly oppressed and help liberate them from those oppressions. Now, that was the 1960s in Latin American countries where certain things were going on. You fast forward in time and that idea has gotten adopted of the idea of the oppressed and the marginalized and people and God being with those groups. And you fast forward to today's world, it's been adopted in many different forms and many different ways. But it's really come to understand liberation theology of today, especially when you talk about it in places like the United States. We don't necessarily mean exactly what the Catholic theologians did in the 1960s. It's come to more mean different things of really any marginalized group, especially those marginalized groups that we identify with here in the United States. And to, uh, to advocate for their full inclusion in every aspect of society, including in the church as well. Now, as you start to think about that idea, it's a big shift, but it actually makes a big difference. But I would share with you this thought as well. There's all, not only has that shift changed where liberation theology is thought of, but liberation theology itself has changed, and the very theology of it has changed. And what I mean by that is, in my opinion, it's thrown the baby out with the bathwater. In other words the catholic theologians of the 1960s really saw it as like a corrective lens to a gospel that would be appropriated by the state but never care about those that were poor and it was a corrective lens not to say that jesus christ didn't come to save souls and all this stuff but that it needed to also have an expression to do this as well this work of ending oppression for those that were truly oppressed in today's world liberation theology has really thrown that out the gospel it's not a corrective lens to the gospel that many of us understand. It is the gospel. So in other words, the marginalized of society and making them being fully inclusive is exactly what the gospel is. And so therefore, it's not really about saving souls. It's not really about the redemption of sin. It's not really about the needed, needed for a, uh, the need for a savior in that sense. All of that really is not important anymore. What is important for this group is that those who are marginalized be fully included in every aspect of society and church. Now, when you really start kind of peeling this, I have to give, I told I'd be fair, but I have to give a critique here. And that is when I read these theologies and I listen and have conversations with people of this persuasion, a lot of times what ends up happening is, is, in my opinion, it really feels a lot less like Jesus's teachings. And to be fair, it really feels like, to me, the economist, the famous economist, Karl Marx, It feels like a religion of his put in today's world with a little Jesus sprinkled on top. Now, that's gonna make a lot more sense as I talk a little bit here in a minute, as I kind of explain some things. But for a long time, of course, if if your whole gospel is centered on the idea of marginalized groups and making them fully included in society and in church, you can understand why this group for a long time, since the very basically foundation moment of the United Methodist Church coming together, has really wanted to change a whole bunch of things in the church and thought that church needed to change its stance on many different issues and and thoughts. Not just what maybe the Catholic theologians would have adhered to back in the day, but even new things here today. The most famous of which, of course, you're all familiar with is the debate on homosexuality. And of course, do churches have unions and weddings according to that? Do they sponsor those? Do pastors officiate those? And pastors themselves, is that okay to be Uh, if you consider yourself a homosexual and are actually practicing, if you will, to be ordained by the church. This has been a debate that's going on, and of course, that was the debate back in the day. The debate now has really shifted the term homosexual to really include um, groups that would identify with the term queer, which would be LGBTQIA and plus. And of course, this group would not just stop there. There'd be other things they'd want to include as well than just that group. And in fact... um, It's kind of gotten to the place where year after year it's come up and the changes have tried to happen. And there's a lot of the wing of the church of this that said, all right, enough is enough. We want full inclusion. We want it now. Let's start our own denomination and our own church. And in fact, last year it was kind of under the radar, but November 29th of 2020, there was a new 501c3 church, if you will, started. And the name that they gave themselves was the Liberation Methodist Connection. And you spell connection with an X in the middle of there. Um, notice they didn't name it a church and that's very intentional they named it the liberation methodist connection now if you go to their website i have um, a couple things i want to read in their website and let you know kind of their thinking and what their church is all about um their website is 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 pretty simple it's www.the the the word the lmx.org in case you want to go there yourself at some point and read their theology But on their website, um, there's a whole bunch about our church, if you will, and you can go and read that. But I wanted to read you the theological statement, theological statement, that is, about their church and what they believe. It says these words, and they say LMX for short for their denomination. It says LMX theology is not written in stone because our human understanding continues to evolve as we deepen our personal and collective understanding of God. We've been expanding our Methodist theological heritage with various various expressions of liberation, theologies, theories, and practice. praxis. Sorry, I said practice, but praxis is what I meant to say. God remains infinitely gracious, creative, merciful, and engaged with creation, healing and redeeming the world. Now, as you hear that theological statement, it's probably important to point out a few different things in there. First of all, that statement, our theology is not written in stone. And they give the uh, explanation that human understanding continues to evolve. Now, in some way, all of us understand that, right? Like all of us are on a journey. We understand God today differently than we understand even when we were younger. But what they mean by that is not just the idea that we continue to learn more as we encounter scripture and as we encounter the church and we worship and try to live faithful lives. They would really mean this is that this book, this Bible is not the authoritative book of our faith at all. By not written in stone, that's exactly what they mean. It really doesn't have any influence in our life or authoritative moral decisions for our life. It really is nothing more than a collection of writings by people, some of which we may find beautiful, some of which we may not. And really to use it is kind of like using poetry. We, we use it, but we use it in the way that if it reflects our life, it kind of inspires us or saddens us. We use that in those moments to express our grief and our loss, our, our joys and our happiness. And so as you think about that theological statement, notice there are things missing there too that you would think a church or denomination from the Methodist church should have. For instance, there's no comment on Jesus, who Jesus is, what is his work, what is he up to, what is he doing? There's no comment about the Trinity, or for that matter, any point of any of the apostles' creed that is known for the church's stance to be what the church believes for centuries. Or really even the Nicene Creed, which is even a more widely accepted creed Uh, that is also in the spirit of the Apostles' Creed by even more denominations, none of that is redressed at all in this statement. In fact, it's very ambiguous and very unclear as to what the church is really truly about. And in fact, when I mentioned about the Bible, about it not being the authoritative book, it's interesting because if you ever have a debate with someone from this camp and you start saying, well, what about scripture? It says this. So how do you put that into your fact of your life? They would say things like, Well, don't use the Bible and its clobber passages to discriminate against me. And so, again, part of the thinking of this book is that, again, it's use it when you want to use it, don't when you won't, but it's full of all sorts of horribleness in it. It's filled with, um, you know, prejudices, biases, bigotry, and we need to filter all that out, of course, when we look at our life. Now, it's important to know that that the reason why the theology doesn't have any of those is because, remember, I told you the baby was thrown out with the bathwater because none of those are important. And in fact, they would find a statement like Jesus is the only son of God as a very closed-minded statement. It's a much more universalist approach where all gods are the same and not just those from the Judeo-Christian and Islamic heritage. So we're not just talking, you know, uh, about Yahweh and and Allah and Jesus, you know, where at least you have father Abraham where you can have some good conversation in that but other gods as well in any way we experience God in any human form throughout history of Vishnu Odin or even Anubis and so it's really the idea that all gods are the same experience God how you will and celebrate it not only that but as you think about well what does worship look like in the church they don't really address that on their page but when you start thinking about it I think it's addressed in the pastoral care section of their page where it says basically they want to create sacred spaces where both human grief and holding grief is shared, and joy and relationships are nurtured. And so it's a very idea of just coming together. We would come on a Sunday morning, and we would kind of just share life together in a way, and share our joys and our griefs, and be there for one another. It's kind of the idea of the church. Now, I share all that to share with you also this idea, well, what about this new church and this new denomination? What are the groups that they identify as marginalized? And so Again, because their primary purpose is not necessarily to worship Jesus Christ, their primary purpose is to take those who are marginalized and make them fully included in society, even to the point of the church. And so I'll read you their statement. This is kind of how they start off their homepage. If you go to their webpage, it says this, you know, what is the, about the LMX? We are a grassroots denomination of former, current, and non-Methodist faith leaders working on unfolding the kingdom of God. Now, I said kingdom because that's how they wrote it, not kingdom, but kingdom of God. We intentionally invite full participation of all those who are living out their God-given identities and expressions, including but not limited to. And I want you to hear these because some of these may, may surprise you, some of them may not. First of all, they would say gender expressions and sexual identity. Of course, that's been the debate that's going on, so we expect that. Hear this one though, religious and non-religious backgrounds. Now when they say full participation, they mean full participation. So that includes ordination. That includes those officiating parts and sacred parts of the church and things like that. Religious and non-religious backgrounds. Heritage, nationality, citizenship, immigration status, races and ethnicities, size, physical or and or mental age, incarceration status, Living with HIV and other chronic medical conditions, socioeconomic or housing status, monogamous and non monogamous. I want to pause there just so you heard that. They don't mean married and unmarried. So let me just say it again. They mean monogamous and non monogamous. Hairstyle, hair colors, that is, or styles, tattoos, piercings, and body art, mental, physical ability, or disability use of drugs and they don't mean just addictions they also mean recreational use of drugs or education level now of course it's limited not limited to but these are just expressions that they currently hold and want to make sure are put out there for us to understand they would look at colonialization and see it as the big evil of the world and want to continue to unearth it they want to see institutionalism end they want to see uh, basically no historical precedent for the ability for people to define who they are or to find worth that is equal to everyone around them. Now, when you think about this thought, you know, it's got a lot of good things going for it, but there are things included in there that, as a follower of Christ, you kind of scratch your head. And you go, that sounds much different than the conversation that's often had, and often that we read in the newspapers. But part of the thinking, I have to talk a little bit about the tone as well of this church, and those that are in the progressive persuasion of this, is there's kind of this thinking, too, as well with it. That there's no liberation, and this is kind of a quote that is oftentimes given, there's no liberation for some without the liberation for all. So the idea is is if you allow some people to be marginalized and oppressed, then really no one, everybody is marginalized and oppressed. So the idea is that you have to utterly go to every extent to root that out and cause it to, to be changed, if you will. Now the problem with that, or not problem with that, but what that leads to is that many people that would identify in this group don't want to leave the denomination. That's actually not the goal. The goal is not to have our own church where we express our view of God and our view of the world and our religious faith. That's not the goal. The goal is other people have to be changed for it to exist. Because again, there's no liberation for some without liberation for all. And so there's been this call for change that's come over and over and over and and a call to fight for it in many different ways. And um, as you see through it, as you see it that is, you can see that there's, not quite, but in some ways it feels like a win at all cost approach. Now, of course, there's no violence, there's nothing like that. So it's not a win at all cost approach, but there is an idea of if you can make it change, change it. And it's not just a matter of talking with people and changing their mind. If you can force legislation and rules of the church to change Change it so that everyone can be free. And of course, what happens there is where if you can't force the transformation of hearts and minds, if that doesn't work, you then go to the forced compliance method of changing the rules and forcing others to comply with the rules as well, even though they might disagree with you. And so in that great irony of kind of how this works is by sticking up for the marginalized to the utmost degree, you end up marginalizing people that disagree with you as well. And in fact, that's what we're seeing um, in some places of the church, the current denomination in many ways, is that those who would hold to an orthodox faith have really been kind of been pushed in many different parts of our nation to a very marginalized position in the church as well. It's also important that that idea of there's no liberation for some without the liberation for all, it also kind of has this tone. And there's also an idea of solidarity. So it's not just every one of these groups have to band together and fight for each other, if you will. And the the tone of it oftentimes is very... um, The word I can look for, it doesn't, the best way I can describe it is, it doesn't hurt or or offend at all to just stamp, like, trample on the taboos of society. What I mean by that is, just to give you an idea, this This was a quote that was put on the LMX homepage um, just this June 8th. And it was talking about, of course, this is uh, Pride Month of of Gay Pride Month. And so they're talking about your celebrations as Pride Month, but also remember, Juneteenth happens this month as well. And so this was their quote. You can kind of hear just the tone of what goes on in this part of the church. So the quote is this reminder that your pride celebration should be hella black and your Juneteenth celebration should be hella queer and both capitalized, both are all caps. That is both should be hella accessible. So you can kind of see how the use of language and stuff like that. There's a very, um, a tone to it as well. And also a solidarity with the groups that were within it. Now, as you look at this group, When I say, again, that the debate here is not just about homosexuality, as you explain this group, you start to see that, right? Because we're not just talking about changing that one little thing in our Book of Discipline to include homosexual uh, marriages as well as ordination. We're also talking about who's Jesus? Is he this unique son of God or not? We're talking about all the Apostles' Creed and or the Nicene Creed even, it's all up for grabs. We're talking about when we define sin, what do we mean? When we find redemption, what do we mean? And these definitions of inclusion include a lot of different things, but this doesn't stop here. Even if this list was all to change, there's more. Because there's always another thing and another group to always that's marginalized that needs to come into the group. And so as you look at this, this, this debate, if you will, there's a whole lot more at stake And if the division doesn't happen, guess what? This debate goes on, and even if the homosexual thing gets changed and the church makes that change, guess what? It's not the end of the debate. If if we all agreed on that homosexual piece tomorrow and just the whole church just unified and said, okay, here's what we believe, the church is going to be debating a whole lot of other things as well in these days ahead. Now, if division does happen... What I would predict would happen is that there would be a section of the church, the Orthodox church, that would break off. There would be a section of the church that would actually just take the moment to break off. That would be the more progressive wing. But I would predict that a whole lot of people, again, because the idea is that if it exists anywhere, it doesn't exist everywhere. And so I would predict that even in the split, the new progressive denomination would be very minimal in numbers, but a whole lot of people would stay with that new the new United Methodist Church and would fight and continue to fight for change and advocacy in that group. And so even I would predict after the split, I think in that middle group, there's still a debate. Even after the split, that's going to be happening in the days ahead. Now, I share all that with you, and that's my take on it. I've tried to be as fair as I could and as, and as, and as uh, not just reasonable, but as, as caring in this treatment of this as I can. If you want to hear more about what each of these groups believe, again, if you want to know this more progressive wing of the church, you want to go to uh, different groups. UMC Ford, again, uh, Reconciling Ministries Movement, but also, of course, the LMX homepage, uh, the Liberation Methodist Connection homepage, where you can find out more about that as well. Next week, we'll be asking that question, well, how did the church get here, right? Like, and looking at the third group, the Orthodox group, and saying to ourselves, not only how does the church even coherently currently exist together, and how do we never hear about these changes that want to be made? So we're going to address that, but we're also going to be looking at that third group that would be a different branch, the more orthodox, traditional group, and we'll talk about that again here next week. I say all these things. I love you. I love our church. I love our denomination. There's so much good in it. But at the same time, change is coming. And you need to be aware of what's really truly being said by the different groups, being understood what each group represents. Let us pray. Lord, I hope that today, God, that I have represented in truth uh, this group. And again, Lord, I fully admit that this is a group that I do not see eye to eye with. I still love them, I still cherish them. I still think that, Lord, they are filled with the image of God and that you love them very much. God, as we're here today, we wanna be a faithful church these various groups that, Lord, pull us in different directions and see a different future for your church. Help us to hear your voice. God, you told us that you're the good shepherd, and that you're with us and that your sheep hear your voice and follow you. So, God, just in this moment, we take time in our own selves and our own being to stop and be quiet, to listen for your voice. Wherever your voice leads us, Lord, we follow whatever branch that might that be in the days ahead or whether there are no branches and we stay in a church or whatever that means, we follow you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.